Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good afternoon, everyone. I am Ron Kolick, founder of New England Ghost Project, author of Ghost Today and Ghost Chronicles. And with me, my co-host from Wales, of course, is the co-founder of Parascience and author of Ghostology and Paracoustics, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Good afternoon. Actually, you missed one. And uh... which one did I miss? Uh, guidance notes for spontaneous case investigators. Ah, and and this is a new book. Yeah, like your new book, which is coming out later this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it available yet, or no, 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 not yet. Okay. Soon to be. Soon to be. All right. So uh, before we start the show, we do want to mention that we're still looking for what you guys want to hear. So uh, email us at anyghostproject.com or uh, message us on our Facebook page, which is Ghost Chronicles International, and uh, give us your ideas, what you'd like to see more of. So we've got some great ones right now, and uh, keep them coming in. So there you go. So anyways, remember... Most of them keep asking for new hosts, so... Yeah. Anyways, um, we have a, a neat show today, which I, I'm kind of excited about. And uh, joining us now from uh, Gettysburg College is a uh, sociologist, the anthropologist, and uh, Ch- Charles Emmons. Uh, Charles, you there? Hello, hello. Hi. Uh, Charles. I, I was going through your, uh, your little bio there, and, and I noticed uh, you've been studying the paranormal phenomena for for over 35 years, and you've mm-hmm. written several books, including the one we're going to talk about today, which is Chinese Ghosts, but I, I also noticed that there were some other interesting ones as well, At the Thresholds, UFO Science in the New Age, and a spirit, a guide by spirit, a journey into the mind of a medium. I don't think anybody wants to go there, uh, but <laughs> evidently you did. <laughs> so, thank you for joining the show. Well, thank you. And uh, I guess the, the book that it really intrigued me, I, I, I saw this uh, on a post by Cal Cooper, uh, a friend of the show, and uh, it, it intrigued me right off the bat because we hear so much about Western spirits and Western ghosts, and we really don't hear too much about you know Chinese ghosts or Chinese paranormal phenomena. And uh, so I, I guess the first question to you is, what compelled you to uh, write this book? Well, I had actually become interested in paranormal things when I was in college. I'd done some things like dice throwing, mind over matter stuff, and I was curious about a lot of things. But when I went to Hong Kong for the first time, I thought, hmm, I should do a research project. And then I thought, well, nobody's done a real cross-cultural study of ghosts, and I think it was a good idea because it turned out to be great fun. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, you jumped on the Internet and uh, looked for Chinese ghost stories and, and put it in this book. I mean, you did quite a bit of research. Right. I mean, I did some of that <laughs> later on, too. But 
back in 1977. The thing that's really surprising about this is that I was able to do 1,500 telephone interviews and 2,000 questionnaires with high school students. So I have a huge database. That's uh, that's excellent, and I, I, you know, I went through it, and and you cover, you know, quite a, uh, quite a bit of topics. But, and I want to talk about the conclusion a little bit later, of course. But uh, I found that intriguing as well. But you talk everything about, uh, you know, why, you know, ghosts and traditions. Uh, some of the actual, there's quite a few of the actual experiences, and, and you classify them as well. And you get into everything from you know uh, possession to spirit mediums, ESP, fortune telling, all that stuff. It's 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 an intriguing book. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to read it all, but uh, what I have seen of it, uh, uh, intriguing. What what was I guess when you when you wrote this book? What was the most surprising thing that you found? Well, what was the most surprising is that ghost experiences in Hong Kong and other parts of China are essentially just like the ones in the United States and the United Kingdom. In spite of cultural differences, there are clear cultural differences, but they don't violate what are sort of standard parapsychological understandings about what ghost experiences are. So, for example, typically you don't expect actual physical effects in the apparition itself. There are, of course, physical effects in hauntings and in uh, poltergeist cases and so on. But the apparition itself is typically not physical. And in Chinese culture, they expect them to be very physical, and that's what shows up in the ghost lore and uh, rumors and so on, but not in the first-hand accounts. They don't have any ghosts beating you at mahjong or seducing you or killing you. And so that's the, really the most surprising thing. So I guess if you found the experiences were similar to uh, Western world, for instance, do you think this brings more validity to the theory that ghosts really do exist and, and that you have different cultures and different religions and different social aspects and coming up with the same results? Sure. This is what um, David Hufford and some other people call experiential source theory. The other theory is, oh, you're just told by your culture that there are ghosts, and so you will have that experience. But that's not really what people find in all kinds of areas of paranormal research, is that there are very similar so-called paranormal experiences all over the world, and they're universal. They may People may explain them differently, but they are basically the same thing. So I don't think there's, there's – first of all, for me, there's no doubt – that people have ghost experiences. But as Steve Parsons will tell you, uh, what actually happened is uh, another question. But there's no doubt that people have experiences. And, of course, uh, like Steve, if I were going to do an actual investigation, which I, well, I did very few, then that's not my thing. I'm a sociologist. But I, I would, of course, try to eliminate all the mundane explanations first. What I did, my strategy was to look for patterns in the cases. There are a lot of, lot of different cases. So what happens in these cases? Are they, do you have collective apparitions? And uh, do you have abnormal features of walking and things uh, such as found in the other cases? And all that stuff showed up in the, the Chinese experiences. Charles, can I just jump in and ask? I'm interested in, you said that there were some marked similarities between 
the uh, Western cultured, the, the ghosts in Western culture and the ghosts in the Chinese culture. You said that you also said that most much of your research was done in Hong Kong. Do you think that the the fact that Hong Kong was a British colony for well over a hundred years had an influence had an influence on the cultural uh, aspects of the, the those particular hauntings that you were looking at? Well, that's a very good question, and in some cases you might think that because uh, some of the things I collected were around the University of Hong Kong, which has, of course, a big um, British presence, or did before mm-hmm. 1907, but a lot of these cases are things that happened not in Hong Kong, but in other parts of China. Mm-hmm. Uh, people had migrated to Hong Kong, and they uh, a lot of their experiences are elsewhere. But there, but there are also. I'm not discounting your point, but I'm just pointing out that uh, there were a lot of cultural things in the experiences, right. that, but not things that violated what a parapsychologist would expect. For example, they would say the ghost came back seven days after death, or some multiple of seven. So there's a lot of Chinese cultural things like that. But I'm sure that there are uh, a lot of people who had lots of experience with British culture. So that, that's certainly true. It just struck me as being, you know, I mean, the sort of, uh, you know, with it being a colony for such a long time, that there would be an inevitable cross between the two cultures, which would make Hong Kong particularly interesting. Um, yeah. I've had no experience of Chinese ghosts or hauntings or phenomena. Um, that both Ron and I have worked with Japanese film crews. And I, I remember when I first uh, worked with the Japanese, what struck me was um, how different they approached the subject um, in terms of the phenomenon themselves were very similar, mm-hmm. uh, but, but they were... They were more. Um, they were afraid of of the phenomena. Uh, well, that's exactly what happens in China too. People, uh, when you'd interview them on the phone, of course, they were, these were done almost all in Cantonese. I didn't do them. They were done by my wife Chi, and she would uh, ask him, you, "You believe in ghosts and so on?" And they would just sometimes say, "Ding uh, why are you asking me such, such unlucky questions? It's not something you want to talk about. And I think that shows up in the belief figures that uh, it's what we call social desirability response. So only 50% said they believed in ghosts. But actually 70-some percent still practiced ancestor worship. What are you doing practicing ancestor worship if you don't believe in ghosts? Exactly. Uh, well, what, again, we were faced with the same situation because this Japanese film crew had come over to uh, make a documentary about this astonishing Western group of people who went out um, deliberately trying to investigate the phenomena, whereas they were very much of a leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, oh, sure. Uh, well, and they really, you know, uh, we were with them for a week and it was a real difficulty for them. I just wonder, you know, the sim- from my p- perspective, the similarities, the differences between the Japanese and the Chinese cultures. Um, so I'm fascinated to hear uh, as the show progresses those differences or similarities. Yeah, well, I know just a tiny bit about Japanese culture, and there are all these things about fox fairies and so on that show up in Japanese culture that you'll see uh, blended in in some of the, the Hong Kong movies, the popular movies about ghosts. They have a lot of, of things like that, that that show a lot of similarity. But they don't, they don't, a lot of those things don't end up being in the experiences. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I remember myself when, when the Japanese came over to, to work with us. They, I mean, they they actually were, uh, you know, they had all their own protection as far as spiritual protection with them, and they they even asked us if there was something else that we could do. It was it was so strange for us and. Uh, we did get them involved in some of what we did, and it was very difficult. They were so reluctant because of their cultural beliefs. Sure. Yeah, it's really considered a dangerous thing. And there were a lot of exorcisms that were done in Hong Kong, and even ones that were supported by the government. Is that right? Yeah, like... uh... You know, there were buildings that were supposed to be haunted because of the Japanese occupation during World War II, and a lot of Chinese were killed, and there were so many haunted places, and they would get the Buddhist monk association out to to exorcise public buildings in Hong Kong. It's fascinating to hear. You know, I, I, like I said, I, I wasn't a, have a chance to read the entire book, which uh, I, I do apologize for. But I, I know that, you know, in some of the cases they looked at, that, that some of the spirits were familiar to people. You know, they were ex-husband, uh, which is one of the beginning ones of the, of the books. And, uh, but uh, were there foreign spirits as well, or were they all Chinese spirits, what they were dealing with? Well, that, that's a good question, too. Uh, one of my favorite cases, if you want me to, I'll read it to you. Oh, one. Yeah. Okay, this one, I like this because it looks like a, a very rare thing, or maybe Steve will say, oh, it's not that rare. Uh, we'll see what he thinks. This is a, what I would call a precognitive uh, apparition. Mm-hmm. Okay, I call this one Destiny in Bangkok. I'm quoting here. This is translated from Cantonese. In 1972, I was returning from England when there were problems with the plane, and we had to stay over in Bangkok. My friend and I stayed in separate rooms in the hotel. Since it was very hot, I went to take a bath. When I opened the bathroom door, I saw a few people in there, some male, some female, all in airline uniforms. At the time, I thought they were regular people, although they didn't move at all. I saw them clearly, but then they disappeared. I was very scared. I shut the door and went to stay with my friend. Three days later, after I returned to Hong Kong, that hotel had a fire in which a few airline hostesses were burned to death. A pilot with a beard was also killed. I had seen a man with a beard in the bathroom. That's actually not that not that common an experience, even in Western culture. Um, right. Pre- precognitive dreams are a frequent occurrence. Um, yeah. But precognitive apparitions are much, much rarer. Yeah, that's the only one I found. Now, of course, I can't verify. Not all these cases are uh, verified, of course. There are only a couple of things that I investigated myself or had multiple witnesses and that sort of thing. So you wouldn't want to take one case as proof of anything. But uh, there are just a lot of collective apparitions, which are fascinating. And uh, one that's a Boy Scout trip, and it's a partially collective, which I tell my students is even more important than other uh, collective apparitions. Because if there if there was actually something there, everybody would have seen it. Again, collectives are, I mean, they're considered to be almost the holy grail because um, of, of experiences because yeah. 
often, you know, with a single witness, you are reliant on one person's subjective experience and their reporting thereof. But with multiple experiences, especially those spread over time where the witnesses don't necessarily or don't interact, um, right. you know, they, they provide a much um, better source of information in detail um, for us to follow up on. Yeah. I had said 29% of the 176 cases that I had were collective. And I noticed that I looked at some of the literature, like in the U.K., and they say if another person present, there's a high percentage of those that are collective. So like maybe 70 or 80% are collective if there are other people present. But a lot of times, of course, there aren't. No, and conversely, you also get those where there are multiple people uh, and you only have one um, experience see, during, right. uh, for the encounter. And then the, the, you end up with, you know, one sees it, nine going, what, what? I've no idea what you just saw. What are you looking at that wall for? Yep. And then this uh, case of the, the Boy Scout picnic, I call it, there were like, uh, I forget exactly, but maybe like eight people and five people saw it and three didn't, and they should have all seen it. So that's even better because they're not, it's not a, simply a, um, you know, uh, some physical thing that everybody should have seen. Well, it's interesting because there are some, some, um, research lines within parapsychology that do indicate that um, some of the environmental triggers that we might be interested in, uh, infrasound, electromagnetism, may only affect a portion of the population, uh, particularly relating to infrasound, around about one-third of the general population seem to be affected by it. The other two-thirds oh, seem to be more or less immune. So that, that figure of five, five out of eight would be either not not uncommon um, and and would you know sort of suggest that whatever it is um, is is if you know if there if it is an external trigger factor uh, something uh-huh. in the environment perhaps that it will be supportive of that uh, notion within parapsychology. Yeah, that's good. And and, and we have I mean it, it's difficult to. Or how do you, in your book, separate like legend, the influence of legends uh, on uh, ghost sightings? Or yeah, those. There, that's what's so amazing is that you know when I collected things that were like rumors on the University of Hong Kong campus, they they were very much like the you know fiction uh, ghost lore, and and clearly different from the firsthand reports. Do you think that um, the influence of Western culture has started to affect Chinese culture in terms of... Because with... Just going back to the Japanese briefly, um, the Japanese following the the, uh, tsunami have now started to actively investigate and um, indeed they've set up ghost groups now in Japan who are looking at, uh, they're, they're, they're emulating the, the, the Western counterparts and they're going to these places where people are reporting tsunami ghosts. Is uh, they're, they're obviously inspired by ghost adventures and the, and the, the Western uh, media. Is any of that influence starting to creep into, into the Chinese uh, culture? That's a good question that I don't have an answer for. The only thing that I know is that there were a lot of things in the news articles I could find and things I could find online that talked about uh, 
Chinese who were had the same experience that they were afraid to go places where there was tsunami damage because of the the core belief that uh, a ghost who is drowned will hang around and look for a substitute so that they can grab you and then you'll drown and then they can go on to the afterlife. So they were talking about uh, effects on tourism mm-hmm. in the places where there was tsunami problems. So apparently the same thing's happening and with Japanese and Chinese tourists. Yeah, I remember back when they had the big tsunami out in the... Uh what was that? I think that was was it off of India, right? But anyways, uh, there was you know Boxing Day tsunami. Which one? The Boxing Day tsunami, two thousand four. Yeah, I believe that's what. I mean, and then after that, there were so many reports throughout you know, that entire region of like uh, taxi cab and, and hotel workers seeing uh, spirits that, of people that who had been there but had drowned and, and died in the tsunami. Is so? I mean, that kind of lends the, the idea that uh, it, is it their beliefs that are, that are seeing it, if they believe that the the water if, uh, is, you know, spirits come back from water looking for other ones, or, or is it, it just a totally unique experience? Well, the problem is that that's not a natural way to die. So that uh, in Chinese ghost culture, and of course in a lot of other societies, ghosts, wandering ghosts, hungry ghosts are, are caused by unnatural death. Like, it, it, you know, if you think that there are a lot of ghosts in Gettysburg, you know, dying in a battle is not uh, dying at home in bed. So there, there are a lot of things that have to do with unpleasant or unnatural ways of dying. And, and so... Uh, drowning is one of those. is considered one of those types of deaths. So you're going to get hungry ghosts when people don't die properly, get buried properly, and worshipped properly. So that's huge in Chinese culture that you worry about the hungry ghosts who don't have somebody to worship them. And uh, so you put out food for them during the Hungry Ghost Festival and so on. Is, is is that the one uh, they also do money and stuff as well? Yes. They burn what are called hell banknotes. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, in 50 million denominations, you don't want to be uh, cheap with your ancestors. <laughs> so you, you burn really high. And also any kind, anything that you have here, like, so that your ancestor, you go to a spirit medium and find out what they need on the other side, and the medium will come back and say, uh, Uncle Wong wants... Um, a Mercedes Benz with um, tape deck and uh, you know uh, you know a, a townhouse in the new territories type of thing, and so you get something made up that looks like that and burn it. So what strikes me is there's we were describing some of the um, aspects of Chinese uh, phenomena, apparitions, hauntings. Um, similarities to uh, the Western medieval and, and in fact the Greek and the Roman ideas which we've evolved away from um, you know I, notions that ghosts want something or that they're here to convey messages or that they're here yeah. to take you away they're, they were quite common within Western culture you know, two, three hundred years ago or up to two hundred, uh, three hundred uh, years ago right, of course we have the, the takeaway spirits that show up in hospital, you know, like carlososis mm-hmm. and the, what is it called at the moment of death or something like that. Okay. And, and lots of nurses report things like that, of seeing, oh, actually seeing apparitions around the bedside. 
I don't know very many nurses that don't have a good ghost story to tell. Right. Including you, Mr. Parsons. Including me. <laughs> <laughs> In a former life. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the intriguing thing about ghosts, is that they're not all, you can't, put them all in one little category. There are so many. There are, there are ones that are loved ones that come back and, and are seen for a particular reason. It might be impending death or, or it might be to warn you or something. There are uh, ghosts like hungry ghosts or, or, or even if you go into demons that, that uh, you know, want something from you, want you or what you think, that want you harm. There are other spirits that seem to have no threat to it all. They just go about doing whatever they do. It, so it's, it's difficult when you have so many different types of experiences to try to understand all the, the, uh, the religious and uh, aspects uh, as well as sociological, sociological aspects that are involved in them. Yeah, well, that, of course, that was really interesting to me in the, the Chinese case. If you take care of your ancestors, you won't see them. <laughs> you don't want to see them. You don't want to see them. If you forget to burn incense for them and so on, then you're liable to see them, and you just don't want to see ghosts in the Chinese perspective. So that that would be an interesting thing, Steve, to yeah, see <laughs> if there are ghost hunting groups in Hong Kong and how that fits with the idea that you really don't want to see ghosts to begin with, like you mentioned in the Japanese cases where they weren't too keen on doing it. Well, I'm aware of, of at least one ghost investigation group in Hong Kong, which has got a mix of um, uh, some Australians, some Brits, and some native Chinese um, mm-hmm. as members. Um I'll, I'll have to look a little deeper. Might also be a great way of making sure the in-laws don't come round. Well. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. You know, what surprised me is is that we had uh, I forget who it was now uh, from Haunted Australia on the thing, and they had the gentleman who was from India uh, in a group who was. I, I I didn't find that culturally. I thought that wasn't culturally acceptable, but uh, he since passed away. But do you remember that, Steve? I do. I do. Yeah, were you surprised by that at all? Or? Um, do you know, it, it, it kind of mirrors uh, what, what Charles was saying before. These ideas are not that dissimilar to Western ideas from, a, you know, uh, a couple hundred years ago. That we were, you know, we picked these ideas up from the Greeks and the Romans, and obviously our ideas have changed, but these older cultures, um, China, India, um, they seem to have clung on to these these older these older notions of ghosts and spirits. And you know, even living out here in West Wales, which is a Celtic, predominantly you know uh, Celtic society, there are still surviving old ideas. This idea of uh, feeding ghosts, this idea of placating ghosts, this idea that they will come back and get you if you don't make offerings. So, again, you know... Well, right we... now, we have to placate our sponsors, so we have to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet and Pararex and wherever else we are with uh, Steve Parsons and Ron Cork and our very special guest, Charles Emmons. We'll be right back after the phone messages.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. The International Edition with New England's very own Van Helsing and me, the bald bombshell, over here in West Wales. And our special guest, Charles Emmons, and uh, who's written a book called Chinese Ghosts Revisited. Um, we're exploring the topic of Chinese and cross-cultural ghosts with Charles. Um, and I'm going to kick off part two with uh, another question for Charles, if I may, um, which is... One introduced you at the start of the show saying that you've been exploring uh, paranormal phenomena for a long, long time, more than 30 years. 35 um, years, yeah. 35 years. Um, thank goodness it wasn't 40 because that would have kicked off an in-house joke between Ron and I. But nonetheless, <laughs> interviewing so many people um, in North America and in Hong Kong, have your own um, ideas, your own... Uh, notions and beliefs changed well yes because when i wrote the first edition in 1982 i was not a spiritualist now i'm a spiritualist although a very loosely held spiritualist i like a, a religion where you can think for yourself and when some spiritualists get too organized then i kind of back away but i've had my own experiences since 1993 so i'm acting not just as a a sociologist and an anthropologist and sort of, uh, I would say, a wannabe parapsychologist back in the 80s. But now I have looked at spirit mediumship and UFO researchers and some other things. So my ideas have changed quite a lot, especially with my own personal experiences. 
Do you know what I always find fascinating talking to uh, scientists, um, researchers, is the, the, go right the way back to the early days of the Society for Psychical Research with Oliver Lodge and um, yeah, other you know eminent scientists, Michael right. Faraday. Almost without exception, they become um, believers. They become spiritual in their belief. They become spiritualist. Um, which I find very... I, I don't know of many that become hardened sceptics. Um, it, it, it always seems to work the other way around. Do you think that's... Uh, is that the human within us, or is that uh, the evidence before us? Well, I think that when you have experiences, then it means something different. Um, that's actually my main thing in sociology, is sociology of science, and I'm part of a group of people I call the experiential movement. All right. There are people in, in uh, paranthropology, for example, like Jack Hunter, mm-hmm. who lives in Wales, by the way. I and, uh, <laughs> and a bunch of other before. Oh, great. Yeah, Jack is wonderful. And then other people like Hannah Gilbert and uh, other people in the U.K. I, I got more friends in the U.K. than I do in the United States. I'm going to be over there in March. And uh, so they are taking really seriously the experiences people have and also understanding that as a scientist, you will learn more if you have some experiences yourself. Uh-huh. Now, there are going to people say people will say he was supposed to study spirit mediums, not become one. Okay. But actually, I understand spirit mediumship a lot more from having done it myself. And I, science is not about ridicule; it's about open inquiry and listening to people's experiences because very few people hoax. So you want to find out what is going on with people and not make fun of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I entirely subscribe to that point of view. Right. When I first started the New England Ghost Project uh, many, many years ago, uh, I didn't believe in a heck of a lot of things. I didn't believe in anything to do with the paranormal. I thought of Francis Mies. I thought they were all charlatans, you know, like the fortune tellers at the beach. And uh, I shouldn't say that. I'm going to get sued by fortune tellers at the beach. Now. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, uh, but I've always figured if I was going to criticize something or, or dismiss it, I at least have to try to understand it. And so I've always uh, gone along that road, try to, uh, you know, learn as much as I can. For instance, like Reiki, I went and, and uh, became a certified Reiki whatever but anyways in order to understand that that's what you have to do and, and I, oh, I, yeah. I unfortunately uh too much especially in mainstream that uh all these eyes are so ideas are so easily dismissed because they don't really try to understand them they just say well that's not the way there's no scientific proof so but they, without even trying to understand it so anyways i think I get on my high horse okay yeah but com- com- conversely you've got conversely i knew you were going to say that a vast sort of swathe of people who don't look at all, they will blindly accept that every... Uh, right, I agree with a, you. Right. ...is a ghost and every squeak and bump is, is a phantom right. stalking the corridor. Right. Is it, isn't it our job to be above that, to be more open-minded, to be more skeptical, to be more everything, to understand what, what is going on? How can we understand it if we, we don't truly study it? 
I think Charles hit the nail on the head before. In order to study, you have to immerse yourself in the subject. And exactly. You also have to accept what you're being told because that witness is the only person who's had the experience. You're following on. Um, you know, it's the same with ufology. You weren't there when when they the person had their experience, whatever their experience may have been, and they are your only source of information. And you throw that away at your peril. Mm-hmm. Right. No. Another thing is important is J. Allen Hynek said that ridicule is not part of the scientific method, and also that uh, science isn't always what scientists do. So unfortunately, there are some people who are only looking for prestige, which they think they can get by ridiculing people who make um, popular entertainment statements about ghosts. I, I don't have to accept those popular entertainment ideas of ghosts, but I understand that entertainment is is okay, <laughs> you know. And um, but as a scientist, I'm trying to understand what I can based on people's experiences. And as Steve says, you know, if we're going to study consciousness, we can, we have to deal with personal experience because there is no other way to study consciousness. We can't find it in the laboratory. That's true. And. The thing that, uh, going back to criticizing and stuff, of course, is, is that some people find that as a way to legitimize themselves if they uh, challenge something that might be outside the box a little bit uh, without really knowing anything. I, I remember when, you know, years back, we did an investigation up at Rhode Island Lighthouse with the Boston Globekin one, and they wrote an article on it, of course, and then they contacted Joe Nichols, and Joe Nichols, knowing nothing about it, <laughs> yeah, good friend Joe Nichols, yes, <laughs> knowing anything, nothing about it, just said, well, those ghost club things, they really don't know what they're doing, and blah, 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 didn't know me, didn't know anything about how I proceeded or anything, and was able to come up with all this stuff, be just this standard line of, you know, they're all doing it right, because I'm not doing it that way, or whatever. Can I tell you something about Joe Nichols? Uh, he would come to Lilydale quite a lot, and I spent a lot of time in Lilydale. I found Joe Nichols one-on-one to be very reasonable and interesting person. Really? Oh, yeah. But then when you read things that he writes, he's, he has to fit into that psychop uh, hmm. kind of so, or psi, so, so, CSI, whatever they call it now. He has to fit in. And so when you're doing a public statement, it's going to be different. But I know that Joe Nichols was, you know, he always hands out these wooden nickels <laughs> and he says, don't take any wooden nickels except mine. And then he says, he, he was talking to Ron Nagy in Lilydale about spirit paintings. And he was really genuinely interested in them. And uh, I'm not making a judgment about these paintings. Uh, I don't particularly embrace it. But anyway, he was nice to Ron. You know, he says, what can I do for you now, Ron? So as a real human being, he's fine. And so are a lot of people. But when they get in print, if they have to be in a certain venue, then they're going to portray themselves as uh, super skeptics. Do you know, I, there is a few, one or two leading British skeptics who are exactly the same. When you when you get them sort of off camera and um, into the pub, their their approach to the subject is very different than their public persona. But you try and get them to say what they just said in the pub, uh, you know, in a public forum. You've got I'll never say it. Done right. So yeah, yeah. Frustrating as well. I noticed in your book you mentioned Mark Nesbitt, who, who I've known for years. And, yeah, me too. Uh, I've investigated. Have you really? You know, your name sounds so familiar. I, I bet you I heard it from him or whatever. But uh, 
yeah, we've been to Gettysburg uh, a couple times anyways and worked with Mike on some different experiences. Uh, of course, the, the farm that he had out there was an amazing uh, location. But he has collected stories throughout the years and uh, to, what's he have, like 12, 13 books now? It's, it's some amazing amount. But that's to me, is, is more evidence is, is the experiments, the different experiences that people have not so much of some stupid meter going off or something, uh, you know, whatever, uh, or a medium telling you something. It's more just normal people's experiences that, that drive me rather than any of the other uh, superficial stuff. Yeah, well, I, I like Mark a lot. He brought me in for the first couple of books, and he uh, some of the cases that I collected on campus or my students collected appear in the first two books in The Ghosts mm -hmm. of Gettysburg. And I've done a few investigations with him. That's really the only thing I know about ghost investigations. And I observed a couple of pretty interesting things that were going on, uh, you know, so, so he's very he has a very scientific attitude. I'm not saying that everything he does in terms of equipment is necessarily valid, but um, he does have an inquiring mind. And that some of the things in his books are are uh, folklore, but most of them are pretty carefully researched from witnesses. Well, let me ask you this, because I, I remember Mark told me this story many times about uh, the college, uh, Gettysburg College. And, and yeah, that's where I'm sitting right now. Right. The the experiences of two women what, late one night that went down in the elevator. Have you heard that one? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, did, so did you hear that from him, or, or did you hear that? Uh, I, well, I think that when I was on the program, Ghosts of Gettysburg, there are a couple of them that have been on cable TV, yeah. that they, they dramatized that, and I met the people, a couple of the people involved. But I had actually a very similar case Two people told me just about the same thing. They had been in what's called the Ice House Complex on campus, and they saw a surgery scene like that. And they were quite reliable people, and I, I thought this was uh, pretty evidential. So, yeah, there's been a lot of things. I'm sitting right now in President Eisenhower's former office. Oh, wow. He, he had an office here at Gettysburg, so I try to channel him. <laughs> <laughs> Does it work? Once. Now, it could be just my imagination, but I have picked up nothing any other time. But this one time I was looking out the window, I would be, I would love to be able to verify this or find out if this could be true. He said, when I was in this office, this is the part where I relaxed in, and over there I did most. And I looked out this window, see if I could see my house over on Washington Street where I lived in, during World War One. So that's all interesting. You know, it could mean absolutely nothing, but I enjoy experiences like that. Can I can I just return back to the Chinese thing for a moment? Oh, sure, yeah. if we have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that um, one of the questions I, I'd like to ask is relates to um, the Chinese who have left China um, because we've got a large population of Chinese migrants um, living in the UK, and I know that there's a huge number of Chinese. Uh, now living in the USA. Have they brought yeah. their ghosts with them to the USA and to the UK? Have their ghost stories, their ghost uh, culture traveled? I didn't try to collect uh, from Chinese living in America, but I know several Chinese in Gettysburg, and there were some paranormal things that happened here. 
Uh, not actually an apparition, but there was one where this guy saw had a pretty scary to him, scary experience of this woman we knew uh, after she died coming in a, a really vivid dream and warning him about things and so on. So that I'm quite sure that they retained these beliefs. And also, you could say the same thing about Chinese in China, because with the Communist Party, it's certainly not okay to believe in ghosts. And so the big cultural changes in China, but, but uh, Jim McLennan, who's a friend of mine, a sociologist, has found you know high levels of experiences in China in spite of the new regime. So you could ask that question, I guess, about the Chinese diaspora, and that would be an mm. interesting big research project. You have to get fine funding for it. <laughs> now that therein lies the difficulty in most um, paranormal research um, particularly where it relates to spontaneous phenomena is is this awful lack of funding um you know which i think goes right the way back to the wine institute um you know uh, jb wine uh, was vociferous in his objection to doing any form of spontaneous case work uh you know, preferring only to do lab work as it was you know uh, right and proper science, uh, bless him. Um, and it, we, we struggle for funding for any form of uh, spontaneous research, be it uh, anthropological, sociological, or parapsychological, or psychical. You know, we just right. we, we're just very, very badly funded. Uh, right. You know, you mentioned ghosts and hauntings, and the funding just melts away like a phantom. Right. There are people that are doing research on a shoestring or they are somehow connecting it to another piece of research. Mm. So you've got these anthropologists, particularly in the UK, who who do regular academic work, but they, they manage mm -hmm. to bring their experiential stuff in as part of the, the research, but that's it's yeah, hard like, to do. Yeah, like Cal in his bathtub. Cal Cooper. <laughs> in his bathtub. <laughs> I don't remember the bathtub story. No, so a bathtub, he's, uh, he just finished a series of experiments in an isolation chamber. And yeah. Oh, that's right. I did see I did see that online, yeah. Yeah. We, I, see, we I referred him, to him. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the only mistake he made is if his face up. Yeah. Uh-oh. Face up? What did you say, face up? Yeah, face up. Yeah. I kept suggesting you should try it face down. Oh, no. Anyway, uh, we go back a long time. We're good friends. Uh, one thing I found in, uh, intriguing as well is that, uh, well, there's two things I wanted to talk to you about before the show ends. And first of all, is you classified the different experiences. Was that difficult to do? And did you have problems where there was almost a, a cross classification? At? I'm not sure what kind of classifications you're referring to. At the very beginning of the book, you, you talk about the experiences and how you classify them as P, E, you know, I, I have to go back to the front of the book. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Do you remember that? Um, each story, I'm not exactly. You, I remember that there are different story, kinds you get of... A, a three-digit uh, uh, classification. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm leafing through now to try to remember what that is. Well, G is for ghost experiences. Then there's, there's ESP, fortune telling, ghosts, right. monsters, poltergeists, right. reincarnation, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, did you have problems in, in classifying that, where, where there was almost some cross classifications in some of them? Uh, not too much. I suppose that would come up mostly with 
the poltergeist and other psychokinetic effects, you know, wondering whether it's a haunting or a PK effect. And there, there's some really interesting examples in there where uh, I guess my favorite is when this one guy died and then uh, his, uh, um, I guess, half-sister or something, and somebody else had experiences of um, physical phenomena in their house at the same time, and, the, and it seems to be connected to him. So it could be coming from him as opposed to the psychic energy of the living people. So there's some kind of crossover cases like that. Okay. Now, I thought trying to tease apart a poltergeist from a haunting is one of the great conundrums of parapsychology. Uh, yeah. yeah. We, we have these ideas that, oh, if providing there's a pubescent female there, it's a poltergeist providing objects right. to throw. But we've got you know, we've got apparitions in poltergeist cases. We've got movement of objects and displacement and uh, within hauntings. Uh, you know, this is one way. Parapsychology likes to pigeonhole things. Uh, science loves pigeonholes and, oh, and yeah. categories. But the paranormal doesn't doesn't like to be pigeonholed. <laughs> yes. You know, it's... Uh, We've been recently talking about time slips, and you know, again, time slips and hauntings. There are so many similarities between the experiences that it's very, very difficult. In fact, even abduct, uh, you know, UFOs and abductions. Um, and going back to Cal, Co- Cal Cooper's uh, book, Telephone Calls from the Dead. Uh, uh, it always that, goes back there, doesn't it? Well, this idea that the dead were calling, you know, using devices to, to telephone and contact the living. You've got. A, just as many people who claim that the aliens are phoning them up as well. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the paranormal just refuses to be categorized. Now, mm-hmm. at the back of the book, uh, you have a series of tables, which I find really intriguing. And so, for instance, you have this one that says paranormal belief in the shows in Hong Kong and the shows in the United States, and there's a little scale that goes with it. Right. Uh, and then there's, you break it down, Buddhism and no religion, Protestant and Catholicism. And then you have, uh, you know, social age, education, and so forth. And then uh, male and ancestor worship. But I, I found the one thing that was missing is you have male, but you didn't have a section on female. Was that because of the Hong Kong culture in itself, where you, where you pretty much only... Uh, uh, what? How? How did that come about? Well, that just—I mean—you could just turn it upside down, and it's males compared to females. So that, in other words, the correlation is um, with male, but it'd be the opposite for female. Okay, not quite sure that. Uh, so you're just seeing, does it? Does being male add to the prediction? Of whether oh, you I see believe what you're saying. Okay, things, so. I, I get it now. Okay, okay. Yeah, right. are males more likely? And if it's not negative, then they're not. Okay, now I get it. I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Duh. Okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. All right. That's a sociology thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of, um, do you teach any, what, what, what courses did you teach at the college? Well, I teach a course called Science Knowledge in the New Age, in which mm-hmm. I talk about all this stuff. And I have not been uh, burned at the stake. Oh, that's good to know. There's still uh, time. There's still time. Yeah, they work. Now, also, uh, there's a sociology of religion course where we talk about these things as well. 
And and I swear, I mean, I, I went and I looked on on the uh, Gettysburg website, and I believe there was something about the paranormal. I don't know if it, what, it either mentions it in your bio or uh, it was a course that you, I wish I could remember it. Oh, God. Uh, well, the paranormal stuff would, would be in the science knowledge in the new age. And if it was a listing of the things, the areas that I researched, it, it would have been on there, too. Okay, maybe that's what I was looking at then. Uh, so was it difficult to, to get them, uh, to have the college, uh, how can I say this? Uh, I mean, did Give you me thought, tenure? Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, that's right. I've done so-called mainstream things as well. Uh -huh. So I studied Hong Kong politics, not just their ghosts. And I so I, and I also I came through at a time when uh, publications weren't such a big demand for getting tenure. Mm -hmm. But I've I've actually been promoted and so on. And I have done enough in both areas, and I've legitimated it by just you know, treating it in a respectful way. Uh, maybe if I were at Harvard, they can be by now, you know, like they tried to get rid of John Mack with his UFO research. Yeah. I, I know I, I taught uh, paranormal CSI at uh, Northern Community College, and the only way I could really get in to do that was um, do it as a, a non credited course. So, oh, really? Was, that was the sad part about it. <laughs> well, a lot of people will teach like critical thinking or something and and say they're just looking at this to see how you would accept it or reject it. Depends on how you bracket it. Yeah. So uh, what's coming up for you, uh, Charles? Well, I'm doing research on integrative medicine and um, I'm giving a talk in in Derby, actually, in March on what's spiritual. You, huh? you say no, derby. No, it's, it's called Derby. Please, please say Derby. Don't say Derby. <laughs> no, not Derby. <laughs> it's derby. Yeah. Thank you, Charles. Yeah, it's it's Derby. I'm giving a talk on what's spiritual about alternative medicine. And I also have a new edition of Guided by Spirit coming out this spring. Oh, excellent. And, and which is about spirit mediums. Okay. Now, uh, you said that you are a spirit medium now? Did you say I was? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, did you study for that, or was it just a natural transition? Well, it started happening spontaneously when I started hearing my mother's voice in my ear, and then I went to a spiritualist church, and I went through classes. Partly just the excuse of this is how to learn how to to study spirit mediums, and my wife is a spirit medium. She's a whole lot better than I am. Figured if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I've had some dandy experiences. Yeah. I've always been intrigued by uh, physical mediumship. And, and for the past three years, we've been doing a, uh, a study on uh, the red light seance uh, and, and uh, its involvement in physical mediumship. And uh, I look at some of the results of the, the older uh, reports on physical mediumship, and, and we haven't been able to attain anything as close to that. Uh, so, I mean, have have you witnessed any any uh, physical mediumship sessions? I yourself? haven't seen anything to write home about, but I'll tell you who is really interesting. Do you know Shannon Taggart, who does photography of it? Uh, I do not. 
Shannon Taggart is, is really good. There's somebody you could connect to. She'd probably love to take pictures of what you're doing. And then there's a, a guy in Lollydale who is um, really interested in physical mediumship. His name is Neil Shepkowski. So I, I know people here and there who are doing research on this. And, of course, Steve Browdy has written about it. And yes. there are a number of people who, it, there's sort of a revival in interest among spiritualists about it, but it was taboo in Lollydale um, about 100 years ago when they were finding so many frauds, and so that's been, you know, a lot of people discouraged it in Lollydale for a long time. Do you, do you think it is, is more fraud than it is? Uh... Well, there's no doubt that there has been fraud. I mean, I have seen table tipping that I just could not explain. Like Steve Browdy, who had table tipping you know, that he saw, and he said, oh, my God, I have to study this someday. I saw it a couple times and was baffled by it, and I'm, I think that some of it is definitely real. I mean, if, if PK exists, and I have a lot of PK phenomena that I have done personally, uh, that I can't control, <laughs> but I know it exists. I've seen it. It's happened to me, and it's quite startling. But um, so there's no reason why it couldn't happen. It's just very mysterious, and you just have to keep an open mind. About it. That's what I find so intriguing about it. I think we've had Steve in the show, haven't we, Steve? Uh, yes. Is yes, he the one who wrote the golden, the golden something or the golden girl? Yeah, the gold lady. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, he was interesting. Yeah, he's from Florida. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Charles, how can people uh, connect with you? <laughs> well, or buy the, or buy the book. Uh, well, they can get the book in, in bookstores or on Amazon, and they can find me on the Gettysburg College website if they want to communicate. And I'm on Facebook. <laughs> okay, there's the music, so we've got to leave. Uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us today, and, and have a great day. Well, thank you. That was a lot of fun, Steve and Ron. Thank, thank you. you so much. So until next time, good night and God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.